White Rocket Entertainment. This is going to be a brand new mini series I'm going to be doing called 1977, a comics odyssey. I'm going to go be looking at the comics that I really started out reading back as a kid in 1977. I plan to have different guests on occasionally as people are willing to come aboard. But the idea is that different people come on for different episodes. And we'll talk about what they liked a particular month and what I was reading that particular month. Back then, I was getting all my comics off the spinner rack at Batson's Drugs in Silicaga or Hobson's Drugs or Harco Drugs. I went to a lot of drugstores <laughs> or the Super Value grocery store or in the little um, plastic three packs at the Big K store, department store downtown. Those are the only ways I had to get comics when I was a little kid, either at the local drugstore, the grocery store, or in the, in the plastic poly bags when you get three in the middle when you have no idea what you're getting. I remember many times as a kid standing there in the store and trying to pry that little bag apart without getting in trouble by breaking it, you know. What is that middle issue, right? I got a Spider-Man on this side. I got like Thor on this side. Is it the Avengers? Is it Iron Man? Or is it going to be some dumb thing I don't care about, you know? And I learned so much about, you know, comics that I would enjoy by getting that middle. That middle comic was the gateway drug, was the, the outside with the gateway drug. That middle comic was the one that, that took you to some new thing you'd never, you'd never seen before. So, all right, let me go ahead and do the introduction, and then I'll explain this fair and square. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 482. It's the Avengers Assemble podcast from the Jarvis heads of AvengersAssemble.net. Now here's your host, Van Allen Plexico. Hello and welcome to the Avengers Assemble podcast and to our new 1977 A Comics Odyssey show. I'm Van Allen Plexico and I'm going solo this episode to talk about comics from the first year I read comics. 1977 was a huge year in popular culture, such an important year. And I was very fortunate to be about nine years old that year. And I was just in the prime receiving, you know, impressionable uh, mode that you could possibly be in. And so I was watching, you know, the cool mid 70s TV shows, the Six Million Dollar Man and the Rockford Files and all that. But I was also, you know, getting ready to go see Star Wars later that fall. It came out in the summer. But as everybody knows by now, I didn't get to see it till the fall. And I was also uh, reading comics for the first time. I had read some, you know, in, in earlier years, I had had access to Richie Rich and Archie and Charlie Brown and Snoopy type stuff. Uh, Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge. I remember having those. And I do remember having uh, reading a, an early issue of Justice League. In fact, I think it was one of those early Justice League, Justice Society crossovers. And so I remember reading that, but none of them really got me excited. I'm like, oh, the Justice League. Okay, cool. Superman, I've heard of him. Batman, I've heard of him. Okay. And I was learning about DC and that was all well and good. But um, none of it really just lit me up, you know, as a nine-year-old. And then somehow, some way in, um, let's see, it would be, April, May, June, July, in, in sometime in, so it'd be three months early, somewhere around May or June, 
So about this, this is crazy. I've never thought about this until now, but about the same time that Star Wars actually debuted in theaters, like May of 77, that was like the same month that Avengers 162 came out. And I, I somebody must have seen it and bought it and thought, I bet Van would like this. Or I know that I didn't buy it myself. I know that somebody gave it to me and I read it and I thought it, it just changed my life. It was the most amazing. This was what I wanted to read, right? Superman was nice and Batman was interesting and all that. They didn't do a lot for me, but Iron Man and the Vision and Ultron, you know, all that stuff, man, I was just like, oh, this is the stuff. It, 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 was, it was serious enough that it didn't feel beneath me, but it wasn't so dark and serious that it would scare a nine-year-old off, right? It was just right in that sweet spot. It was just serious and hardcore enough that I was, you know, instantly hooked, but it was just kid-friendly enough that I wasn't put off and that my grandparents wouldn't have taken it away from me and set it in a fire, you know, set it on fire or something. So it's just perfect. I became a Avengers fan for life. Um, and so I was able through after that to get, to get a hold of um, issues 158, 159, 160. I didn't get 161 until many years later uh, to slowly fill that in. But I kind of consider now, because 158 was as far back as I was able to go trading with friends, you know, that, and that, I didn't have access to a comic shop as a kid, had no access at all to a comic shop until I was at least in high school, maybe college. And so as a nine, 10 year old, the only way I could get issues that I didn't have was to find a friend that had one and was be willing to let trade with me. And I remember in third, that was third grade, the spring of 77, I was in third grade. And I remember uh, a couple of other students in class had, Issue 160, The Grim Reaper, and I was so excited. That that issue was awesome, Shooter and Perez. And then I remember somebody had 158. Or I, you know what? I bet I got 158 in one of those plastic bags. When you would buy them in a store in three in a bag, they would be older than the ones currently on the spinner rack. And so that's how I got a lot of my older issues. So my comic reading really probably began in the summer of 77, Marvel. Um, it went back to April of 77, Avengers 158. It's about as far back as I really consider my comics world beginning. But that was the April cover dated issue. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to zip quickly through January, February, and March of 77. Some of those issues I either was able to read later or I've never read. But I just thought it would be fun to kind of talk a little bit as an introductory episode uh, just by myself, about the issues from January, February, and March of 77, right before I got into it. The ones I just missed by that much, okay? Some of them were the beginnings of stories, and I didn't know what was going on. Others, I was very lucky that that's kind of where I started. Like, for example, the Avengers. If I'd picked up Avengers 157, the Black Knight turned to stone, I'd have been like, okay, yeah, yeah you know. Whereas picking up 162, right? So, um, but some of them I, I have read later, gone back, you know, or whatever. So let's talk about that. And as I said, in the, on this little mini series in the future, as we go, we're going to go month to month after today. I'll have uh, guests on, hopefully, and uh, we'll talk about the comics that really impacted us the most during those, you know, those months and those those years. We'll definitely do 1977, and we get to the end of 1977. Maybe we'll do 1978, a second comics odyssey. Who knows? But but in any case, let's look at 1977, January, February, and March. 
and what I missed by that much. All right. So here we go. Let's see. In January, I made a little note, and I also have the uh, the index up here. So in January of 77, well, one of the most important uh, comics that I missed, well, there's a couple. One was, and I have it on my iPad here so I can show you, Captain Marvel number 48. This is when Captain Marvel was kind of okay, not great. By the way, this is how I read almost all my comics nowadays. I've gone from actual comics to trade paperbacks and hardcovers to now I just pretty much have everything on here. It's it's amazing that it's that thin, and yet it has like all the comics I could ever read in my life or have ever read on it. So there's an awesome splash page. Look at Marvel there, man. That's awesome. That's with uh, Al Milgram. Hey, good for Al. Good job. But uh, the, the other one that I want to point out uh, that was ha- that came out in January uh, of 68 was, they're in alphabetical order, so this is a total, this is terrible radio here, but aha, there it is. Um, sorry, I have to scroll a slight bit. I just want to show you a few visual aids since I have them. There you go. January of 77, we get the, I kind of have to turn it sideways for you to see. Those of you that are just listening to the podcast, I'm just showing the cover to Ms. Marvel number one from January of 77. This is the same Ms. Marvel, Carol Danvers, that would go on to be later binary, and uh, Warbird, and um, eventually Captain Marvel, as in the movie Captain Marvel. That's her. But this is what she looked like back in comics in 1977. You can see that they were really trying to play off a connection to Spider-Man. So you see Mary Jane, Peter Parker, and J. Jonah Jameson, and and the villain is the Scorpion, who was a Spidey villain. It's funny how Marvel, it doesn't matter what, what, character marvel was creating back then they always had to tie it to spider-man i mean nova was the same way nova had just come out and they were all like oh this is like spider-man but he can fly you know instead of the web they're all they were always because spidey was the big buck ticket back then the way that like the x-men would be in the 90s that kind of thing so captain marvel and ms marvel were big Oh, and also I had a note that Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number two came out. I don't have a copy of that handy, but there is one over there in my old long box over there because that was the first issue of Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. That's a long name (laughs) that I ever had. And I remember it because it was the earliest, like, you know, at that time, the earliest issue number wise. I didn't have a number one, but I had that number two and it was against the, uh, the Tarantula, who I thought was interesting. So. Uh, Peter Parker, number two. So Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man series had just started, I guess, in December of six of 76. You know, I'll, a couple also I want to mention just in passing here from January. Um, 2001 A Space Odyssey had also started in, I guess, December of, of 76. And I got to tell you, it ran for like a year or two, right? This was one of those Jack Kirby. It was one of the things that they let Jack Kirby do when he came back to Marvel in the mid-70s. Just do a 2001 I guess an adaptation and they just continued with it. It became like a science fiction anthology series kind of. And I just got to say, I never knew this comic existed. I had no idea. Um, I see the covers now. I'm like, Oh man, that looks really cool. It's got Jack Kirby art. He was even writing it. You know, uh, this was probably some awesome stuff. It's where the, where machine man came out of. He's probably the breakout star of that, of that anthology series got his own series later. Um, but yet, 
I don't remember ever seeing a single issue of it on the comic spinner rack. And if I did, I didn't even know it was a Marvel comic probably. Um, so just one of those, you know, everybody has like those blank spots in their collection where there's comics that they've heard of, but they never actually saw as a kid. I never, I, I know that with the exception of one issue, I only ever saw uh, that one issue of Omega, the unknown that, that short lived series. So I just never saw it. Um, Champions number 10 that's the series famous for being Black Widow, Hercules, Angel and Ice Man from the X-Men, and Ghost Rider. That's a weird lineup. Uh, there's a long story behind that, but uh, that was out, the Champions. I read a couple of issues of that, never loved it. Conan the Barbarian was all the way up to issue number 70. So Conan had kind of been a big Marvel property throughout most of the 1970s. It was all the way up to 70. I mentioned Nova. Nova was issue number five. And I got to mention also in, in, in January of 77, Crazy Magazine. Marvel used to, I don't know if they still do, but Marvel has always loved jumping on the latest trend. The problem is it always takes them a year or two to kind of get up to speed on doing their version. So like if, if disco was hot in 1978, you can be sure that Marvel would have a disco character in 1980, you know? And so if, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if UFO aliens and Loch Ness monster were exciting in 1975, you can be sure Marvel would be doing the Eternals in like 1977. They were always just a little bit behind, you know, on the trend. And so uh, crazy was like their answer to Mad Magazine and Cracked. Same same idea, big black and white magazine. I remember reading it a lot as a kid and they would mostly do like movie spoofs, whatever the latest movie was. Because I remember when Star Wars came out, I bought all the Star Wars spoofs, crazy and cracked and mad, you know, Um I don't think there's anything else in January I want to mention. There, you know, there, oh, 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 the uh, Black Panther. I do have to mention that one. I, yeah, January for, uh, first issue, January 68. The Jack Kirby Black Panther uh, came out. I was not reading it. I don't even remember seeing it on the stands. Uh, I'm going to mention other stuff as we go along, like Captain America, Thor, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, other stuff. Don't worry, I'm going to get to all that, but I'm just kind of hitting the highlights. Oh, Red Sonja Volume 1, number one. So the first Red Sonja comic came out. January of 77 was a big month for Marvel introducing new stuff. We'll talk about Marvel Team Up and Marvel 2 and 1. I, I, you know, oh, Rampaging Hulk magazine. This was the big black and white size, uh, large size Hulk magazine. It was like, it's kind of like in late seven in, in 76. Going into 77, Marvel said, we could do black and white magazine size comics as well as the smaller color comics. And they kind of said, well, we want to make these more mature, more adult. And in fact, some of them had pretty gratuitous nudity. Um, Marvel Preview, I think it was, with Star-Lord was lots of nakedness running around in that thing. But uh, as a nine-year-old, I'm like, <laughs> looking for my grandparents and hiding it. Um Man, I haven't had that in a long time, that issue. But but uh, Marvel said, let's do black and white oversize and, they want, and let's make them more mature. And so they thought, I think they, the, the idea was that they thought what characters would work better in that environment. So they ended up going with Conan the Barbarian, what was called Savage Sword of Conan. That was a great uh, magazine. black Because John Bashima's Conan art looks just as good in black and white as it does in color. So that was great. I've got quite a few of those on here too. And... Um, 
And then also um, they did the, the Rampaging Hulk, right? So a, a slightly more adult, grown-up version of, um, let me see if I can find, oh yeah, can, a Savage Sword of Conan. Just give you an idea of kind of what we're talking about. Uh, let's see, here's one that actually has Red Sonya on the cover. Oh yeah, let me give you a sense of what we're talking about. See, see, this is more marketed toward teenagers and young adults and older adults. This was bigger than my iPad. This has probably shrunk down a little bit, uh, but it emphasized, you know, the savage muscle man and the half naked women running around fighting zombies and monsters and stuff. And you can see the um, in fact, let me show you some of the amazing John Bashima. I mean, look at Bashima is just amazing. Just gorgeous. Um, and find a battle type. Well, there's a, uh, there's Red Sonya appearing, and you can see again. This is definitely kind of aimed at a slightly more mature audience than you'd get in like Iron Iron Man or the Champions or something, right? So, um, so anyway, um, those were big that month in January. Rampaging Hulk had started. Red Sonya started. They were really trying to push that stuff, but you still had Tomb of Dracula, and you still had uh, Werewolf by Night. Uh, okay. So uh, Omega, the unknown number six. See, uh, okay. So that was January. Let's move on to February. Again, I'm going to touch on all these different titles as we go along. These are just the ones I, I felt like was of particular note uh, this month, February, uh, 2001, a space odyssey, number three, amazing Spider-Man 165. In fact, I want to see the, he's fighting Stegron kind of boring. Uh, let's see Avengers 156. I'm still not interested in the Avengers yet. Uh, Champions number 11, Daredevil 142, uh, Defenders 44, Eternals number 8, FF 179. I'm not, we haven't gotten to me reading uh, FF yet. Howard the Duck. Howard the Duck was a big deal back then. The Inhumans were on number nine, the, the Invaders, which was like Captain America, the Submariner, and the original Human Torch during World War II. That was pretty cool. Uh, Cole the Destroyer, whatever that was. There was a Logan's Run adaptation going on. Uh, not a lot I really want to talk about from February, although I could have sworn that there was, oh yes, the first issue of What If came out in February of 77. And that's a big milestone because something What If related has been around Marvel more often than not ever since then. It didn't always do great, right? I mean, any it's kind of a semi-anthology series, right? Different writer, different artist, every issue telling a one is always pretty much a one shot story where something happens differently. It's kind of like DC made a, made their entire, you know, office policy for a while there out of anything can happen. We're not that worried about continuity. You know, okay, that's fine. That's DC's strength. If they, they don't care, they just do whatever works to make a good story. I respect that a hundred percent, but Marvel was always about the tight continuity. You can't do something crazy here and then expect it not to be reflected over here. So what Marvel would do is say, we have nowhere to tell these sort of fanciful stories. So let's create one series just for what if something else happened, right? DC could just do it anywhere, it seemed like, at any time, and nobody really cared. But Marvel created their, a, a series just for that, and it's called What If? And it, it's got such an important place in Marvel history that it's going to be one of the new Disney Plus shows. And I can't wait, right? I mean, you can just imagine the ones they could do just based on the MCU so far. Like, they could do, like, what if Black Widow hadn't died during the Infinity War thing? Or, 
you know, what if uh, what if Iron Man had gotten dusted during the snap and somebody else had to do like Bruce Banner, you know, or somebody, uh, you know, the Black Panther or something had to be the one kind of leading the leading the way against the second wave against Thanos. So there's a lot of stuff that they can do. But the first issue ever of what if and you knew it was going to be these two in the, in the 70s, there were no bigger money makers for Marvel than Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. And so, of course, the first issue of What If is what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four? And so, you know, the very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, this one, that always confuses me because he first appeared in, what, Strange Tales or Amazing Fantasy. I'm sorry, that was, he, he appeared in Strange Tales as reprints, but Amazing Fantasy. But yeah, and then uh, he got his own book, but his own book wasn't his beginning. He began in that other comic. And so the first issue of his own book was where he met the Fantastic Four because they'd already been around for a few for a couple of months and they crossed over. And this is really, that's the beginning of Marvel continuity is, is Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four crossing over. So it makes sense that the first issue of Fantastic Four be, what if he had actually joined, right? In the real, real comic, Spidey's like, nah, no thanks. I don't want this to be the Fantastic Five. I'm more of a loner, right? He, he didn't join the Avengers until just a few years ago in the real world. And he um, he didn't join, you know, he, he just never, he wasn't a joiner, as the comedian says, but he he joins the FF in this. And I, I don't remember, it's been a long time since I read it, but I'm sure that nothing good comes from it because the endings of those what ifs were always kind of bittersweet at best. Usually some beloved character would die. I'm going to guess that maybe like the human torch dies and Spider-Man ends up taking his place or something. I don't know. I don't know. But in any case, um, he's got the five. I think he's got the five on his chest instead of the spider. So uh, also coming out that month was the Mark of Cain in Marvel premiere, which was another sort of anthology pre uh, comic that they did just showing off new characters and new ideas. And I'm pretty sure that's a Solomon Cain story, which is Robert E. Howard. I'm sure that what happened was that um, Roy Thomas, the editor under Stan Lee, uh, who had brought Conan in and then created Red Sonja, I'm sure he kind of looked around and says, what else, Robert E. Howard, can we do? Hey, look, there's Solomon Kane. Let's do something with him. And he's a great character. I've, you know, I've written uh, the Gideon Kane story and, and edited the book about a similar character. Uh, a lot of fun. Let's see, just other things of note, the third issue of Peter Parker, uh, Son of Satan, interesting, number eight. I would have really gotten in trouble reading that as a kid, I know. Uh, Super Villain Team-Up, got to mention this one because uh, this is, I think, in issue number 10, if I remember correctly, for like the first nine issues, Super Villain Team-Up had been kind of boring. It had been the it had been Namor the Submariner doing stuff and all, and I mean, He's barely even a villain, you know. I mean, Namor's kind of like the most gray character in all of Marvel. He's, he, you know, half the time he appears as a good guy, half the time he appears as a bad guy. He's kind of his own thing. But um, they kind of ditched that. And around issue 10, 11, 12, around in there, Supervillain Team Up got really good. It became sort of like a, um, so it became sort of like a, uh, uh, a, a mini Avengers, or it was almost like uh, uh, Infinity War, Infinity Gauntlet type book before its time where you had the Avengers and other heroes teaming up against big, big menaces. And so the best part about Supervillain Team Up during this period, I got to mention this, is it was Doctor Doom and the Red Skull. Well, you can't get bigger in Marvel villains. I'm sorry, especially back then because Magneto 
Magneto was still like the fourth or fifth best Marvel villain at best back then. I know and later on, I know, but back then Magneto was still the, the leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutant, which kind of gives everything away in the name, right? I mean, how do you infiltrate anything as you show up and say, hi, we're the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, but we're not bad. <laughs> but uh, but there, Dr. Doom was unquestionably number one. Red Skull was probably a close number two. And so they didn't so much team up as fight each other and everybody else is like in the way. And the best part is this story culminates with them fighting each other on the moon. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm nine years old and I got Dr. Doom and the Red Skull. I mean, are there are there any two villains in all of Marvel? Maybe Galactus, right? Are there any two villains in all of Marvel whose dialogue is more over the top evil than those two? Right. I mean, Galactus in the sense of grandiosity, like you are all fleas. I am the will and the way. But I mean, Dr. Doom is like, I am Doom, Doom the first, Monarch of all Latveria, you will kneel before me. And the Red Skull is just like, you know, he's basically Hitler if Hitler was a supervillain and a freaky, you know, face and all. So, you know, the two of them teaming up, it just felt like uh, nobody could could take them down. And they sort of took each other down, which is kind of funny. Uh, let's see if there's anything else. I want to mention, I think that what if volume one, number one is probably the big, uh, um, yeah, let's see. Paul, Paulo has a good point here. Both, both, both volumes of what if have a sort of happy ending. Yeah. But it seemed like more often than not, it was kind of a bittersweet ending. We're going to get to the, we're going to get to the third issue. And that's the one where I started. And it's one where spoiler Iron Man dies. Okay. So that to me is a sad ending, regardless of the story, right? Like, Iron Man is important to me. In fact, there's, by the way, I got to show this off. Excuse me, just a quick divert, uh, digression, but there's like cool 60s Iron Man. Oh, yeah. And those of you that are listening to the podcast are missing out on all the fun here. Sorry. And then uh, I had him for a while. I've had him for a while. And my wife just got me my Iron That That, ladies and gentlemen, I'm showing the 1970s version. That is my Iron Man right there statue. So, He's he's in the place of honor on my desk next to Marvel, <laughs> Captain Marvel, my Captain Marvel. I, lo- I love Carol Captain Marvel, but this was my uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, okay, Paulo also says the interaction with the Avengers was good, but Namor and Doom in one book against each other yeah are dramatic enough. Yes, Namor and Doom in one book against each other dramatic enough. I think that's exactly right. Uh, Chris Luna says, Cole the Conqueror, whatever that is. I thought you liked Sword. Yeah, I because they didn't call it. It's you're right, Chris. It's it's not, it's called Cole the Destroyer. And I never read anything from Robert E. Howard called Cole the Destroyer. I know Cole the Conqueror. I've got it right up on that shelf up there. I can turn the camera and show you Cole the Conqueror. Uh, but I don't have anything called Cole the Destroyer. So that threw me a little bit. When I think Marvel and the Destroyer, I think Drax or the big Asgardian robot thing so forgive me for getting those confused um i think that's probably it for february i'm sure i'm missing something important there's marvel spotlight spider woman so she was getting her own tv show in fact there's a few others power man thor but we're not really yet to the thor i want to talk about so we're going to talk about him later okay and x-men by the way x-men 103 was out so we have the new team by this point, and we have Claremont and Dave Cockrum doing them, but I hadn't, it, it was still selling very low at this point, and I had never heard of the X-Men in January or February 
of, of 77. All other what ifs mean that the Marvel Universe is the only correct outcome. I think that they kind of made that is 616 Marvel Universe is the it's it's the out the outcome that we know as the quote unquote correct Marvel universe is the 616 universe. If you were reading comics set in the 615 or 90210 Marvel universe, it would then there would be a different set of stories that would be the correct, you know. So it's just a way of I guess thinking of it. I don't know. All right, let's go on to March and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Let's go to March, our third month. This is the last of the three months we're going to be looking at today. There's definitely some stuff going on that is important to me, but still, this is not when I had just started reading comics. 2001 was up to number four. Amazing Spider-Man 166. You're still fighting Stegron, and I'm just like, don't care. <laughs> Avengers 157. This would be the, the Knight of Stone. Don't really know. Don't really care. Uh, yeah, Chris does say X-Men would sell out around then and really hard to find. Yeah, exactly. Because it was it was just getting popular, so people were trying to get it, but it was still being probably printed like it had been a year or two before when nobody was buying it, and it was reprint. So it, it was a slow build. It took a couple of years for X-Men really to become anything remotely big. Uh, issue number two of Black Panther, still by Jack Kirby, which just seems like an odd combination to me, but it worked. Uh, let's see any others I want to mention. Captain Marvel number 49. Oh, against Ronan. That's cool. Uh, I can, in fact, I could bring that one up on my, uh, iPad, uh, Conan 72, Daredevil 143, the Eternals number nine, Fantastic Four. Okay. The, this is important. Issue 180 of the Fantastic Four. This is the issue before the issue I started with. And so you had George Perez doing the art. Fantastic. Uh, you had Jack Kirby doing the covers, Fantastic Four, can't beat that. Um, and they have it noted as Stan Lee wrote it. I'm not sure I believe that. But uh, I was thinking that Marv Wolfman wrote that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I was pretty sure Marv Wolfman was writing the FF in that period. But anyway, it's the issue where the thing is out on the town with Tigra and Thundra which is an interesting combination and the impossible man. So like when I first started reading the FF, it, it was the thing, Tigra, Thundra and the impossible man. That was a weird, you know, while Reed and Sue and Johnny were off doing other stuff in the same issue, they were appearing. They just weren't all, you know, together. And so um, that was a strange, strange combination, honestly. Uh, let's see. Number, number three of Ms. Marvel. Uh, oh, yeah. Apollo, well, yeah, you're talking about uh, Apollo has the comment in issue number 50 of Captain Marvel. Marvel used the super adaptoid to rid himself of Rick Jones. Rid himself. Then the funny thing that you say it like that, Apollo, Apollo, uh, Apollo is rid himself. We were talking to the day some friends that I that that adding Rick Jones is like the best thing that happened to that book, because you guys all know. Right. I mean, he's my second favorite character of all time. I love Marvel, but. He often felt like the second or third most important or interesting character in his own comic for a long time. In fact, what one of the things that makes his last great saga, the Broderick Moench saga, so good when he fights Isaac, the, the living computer on Titan, one of the things that makes it so good is he's got lots of guest stars. It's like a it's like a cosmic team up book during that period. You got Marvel, Drax, uh, Elysius. Um, the the Dionysus, I believe, 
uh, Rick and his girlfriend in space. <laughs> there's a lot, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, it's not just Marvel. Marvel never knew what to do with Marvel. They never did. Not even Starlin, I don't think. Um, and so at least Rick Jones, I know they brought Rick Jones in to make it like the old Fawcett DC Captain Marvel, where a, a teenager or a kid does something, Shazam clangs the bands together and he turns into a superhero. In this case, he, you know, Rick would bang the nega bands together and he would swap places in the negative zone in the real world with Rick, with, with, with Marvel. But, uh, but what, what they quickly figured out was that Rick was an interesting character and he worked really well as kind of a, not a sidekick to Marvel, but just he, he brought some life and energy into the book. And once he leaves with 50, he still kind of hangs around as a supporting character. He's in all those issues all the way up until it ends with number 62 and into the spotlight issues. So, so Rick Jones was an important character. He was a good character. He did a lot for Marvel, just like he had for the Hulk and the Avengers in the back in the day. Um, but I just don't think anything could have saved Marvel because he just, they never gave him enough personality. They never gave him a reason to be. And, um, and so having really good guest stars helps, but it doesn't help enough when you yourself are kind of, kind of flat. See, I, 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 I love Marvel the way I love Boba Fett. I love the idea of what they can be more than what they actually were. I've had this conversation before on here with talking about like Star Wars, that I'm a huge Boba Fett fan. People say, but why? He never did anything. I'm like, oh, I know. I don't love Boba Fett for what he actually did on screen. I love Boba Fett for having a little action figure when I was a kid and the adventures I had with him as a kid playing with his little action figure. That's what I love about Boba Fett, the possibility. Just because the actual people in charge never did anything cool with him, really, doesn't mean I didn't or couldn't, right? And same thing with Marvel. Just because he had limited great, you know, he had some good adventures, but not a, not nearly as, nearly as many as he should have. You know, I love him for his potential as what he could have been. And honestly, I think that that Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel in the MCU, has the potential to be what Marvel should have and could have been. And I'm really looking forward to her sequel and to seeing more of her in the movies. Um, okay. So, because she really is what he was just a, a female version and, and, and in, in the MCU, there is no male version. So that's fine. You know, she's not a copy so much uh, like she was in the comics. So I guess the only other ones I want to mention, I still don't have any, well, actually, you know what? Marvel team up 55, uh, this one is interesting. I actually reread this the other day because for some reason I thought this issue came out much later than this. I did not realize that Marvel team up 55 came out, um, the month before I really started reading comics at all. Let me see if I have it on here. I think I do. In fact, yeah, let me show you the issue I'm talking about. I love Warlock and it's cool to see him teamed up with Spidey in a story that wasn't a huge cosmic, you know, disaster. So there's Marvel team up 55 Spider-Man and Warlock. I, you never knew who they would team Spidey up with. And what's cool is it involves the infinity gems way back then, although they weren't called that yet. And it's, uh, it involves the stranger and the gardener. And so it's kind of like this story, which was written by Mantlo, not by Jim Starlin, you could see probably Starlin reading this and going, oh, every gem is in the possession of a different, really powerful character. And Thanos is going to have to go and get them 
from each one. So this is a, actually a much more important issue in the Infinity Gem saga than you ever would have guessed, I think. And that's pretty cool. Um, Marvel Team Up has some pretty cool issues over the years. I'm going to talk about the next issue next on our next episode because this was the first Marvel team-up I actually bought. I want to say it was probably in one of those plastic bags, and that's how I was able to get it and why I thought it came out later. But it's Spider-Man and Daredevil teaming up. I didn't know who Daredevil was. I had no idea. But Electro looked pretty cool. I liked his costume here. And I liked the idea of uh, two guys that swing around on cables or wires or whatever fighting this electrical guy. So I grabbed this one up, and I had a good time with it. Um, let me see. Paulo says, not only that, most burn stories in the in Marvel team up were written by Chris Chris Claremont. Yeah. Oh yeah. Marvel team up always had a pretty good, um, at least after that issue, <laughs> you, they usually had a pretty good creative team. And often it was the Claremont and burn, um, future X-Men team. So you could barely do better than you could scarcely do better than that. All right. Let's see. Last couple of things before we wrap up for, for March. Uh, Thor number 257 came out and it's really the beginning of the Odin quest, or at least it's an important chapter in the Odin quest. I'm going to get into that next month because, uh, Thor 258 was my first Thor. I definitely remember getting that in a plastic bag and, uh, you know, one of those three part bags. And that had a huge impact on me. The idea of godlike cosmic beings on a sailing wooden sailing ship in outer space blew my mind so much that when I wrote Caroline Heart Cold as Ice, I incorporated that whole idea. <laughs> they, I have a whole group of pretty cosmic characters in that story, in that book. And one of the ways they travel around is on a wooden sailing ship that travels through dimensions. I had to, that's a total homage to Thor 258, 259, which we'll talk about next episode. Oh goodness. I almost forgot. Here's the one great exception. The one great exception to everything I've said so far, I said I really started in Mar in April, right? I started in April, but there was one comic that's very, very important to me that I actually have. The, the March issue was my first issue. I, okay, this requires just a little bit of quick explanation. I was in school in like the third grade, in early third grade, probably mid-76, fall of 76, and I saw the Marvel lunchbox for the first time. And it had like Spider-Man on the front, on the back. It had Thor and the Fantastic Four. It had all the different characters. And I remember that like on the bottom, because this is where Iron Man was back then, it had Iron Man flying almost like this on the bottom. And I had never seen Iron Man. I'd never heard of Iron I didn't even know what his name was. And I remember looking at the bottom of that lunchbox that somebody else owned. And I was like, Oh, this guy looks so cool. He's all sci-fi looking. And I remember thinking, is he a statue? Is he made of metal? Is he a robot? Is he a man inside armor? I had no idea what he was, but his the red and gold looked cool. The metal looked kind of cool. It might have been drawn by Gene Colan, which he, you know, he I've always said he's not a technologically drawing guy. He's more of a you let him draw Dracula, you don't let him draw, you know, mechanical stuff. But um, but he, he but he had that great run on Iron Man, and he really did draw his Iron Man his way. Anyway, so Iron Man on that lunchbox look, box looked so cool. I was absolutely enthralled. I had to know more about him. So I go down to Florida with my family in the summer of '77. This is when this is that same famous Florida trip I've talked about, 
where I wanted to see Star Wars and we didn't get to see Star Wars and I was just crushed and I had to wait months to see it in Silicaga back home in Alabama. But, um, but I went to the, to a store, a grocery store or a gift shop or something. And this is what was on the spinner rack. Ladies and gentlemen, that was on the spinner rack. If you are me and you are nine years old, summer of 77, and you know that this Iron Man dude on this lunchbox looked really cool, and you may have already gotten Avengers 162 by that point, and you've read a little bit about Iron Man, and then you're in this store in Florida, and they have a two- or three-month-old issue of with this on the cover? Are you kidding? I'm, I mean, I'm sure I begged my dad for 32 cents to buy it, but I probably would have sawed off my left arm to have it if they'd asked for that. I'd have said, yep, you can have my left arm, no problem. Just give me that Iron Man comic book. And in, in it, he fight. Oh, by the way, that came out that summer. Yeah, that was so seventy six. It was the fall of. Uh, it was hung over from the fall of seventy. Fall of seventy six. That movie disappointed me, by the way, because how can you look at that movie cover and then see the actual movie? It never leads. It lives up to that. That cover is so much better than anything in the movie. So much better. But anyway, um, yeah, it's Iron Man fighting Ultimo. And look, Ultimo is a giant there and is beating Iron Man down. Iron Man's down on his knees on the ground. And uh, the whole and there's Jasper Sitwell, who in the comics was actually a good guy. In the, in the MCU, he turns out to be a bad guy. Jo- I believe that's George Tuska art. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that is George Tuska and Bill Mantlo writing it. And it's just, just amazing stuff, right? So the one issue that I had read from before April of 77, as we wrap up here, was... Iron Man 96, and I'm going to mention that for just a second here because it's important, is that this was my entrance into Iron Man and the Avengers completely. Uh, Iron Man, Bill Mantlo's writing it. Iron Man, I'm learning about his uh, his chest you know, problem. He needs electricity, his heart problem. And it's interesting, too, that I gathered from this that he had two friends named Happy Hogan and Pepper Potts that were gone. They had left the book. And what I know now is I guess that when Mantlo took over a few issues earlier, he kind of didn't want to use Pepper and Happy anymore. And so they got relegated off off the stage. And um, Mantlo brings in a new supporting cast for Iron Man, including Jack of Hearts, um, Madam Mask, Jasper Sitwell, uh, the Wraith. So and he gets new girlfriends. Tony does and all that. And, then, you know, then pretty soon after that, Michelini takes over and Layton and you get Beth. Um, Bethany Cabe and you get Rhodey and you get Mrs. Arbogast, right? So Tony was getting a whole new supporting cast just starting just before I started reading it. So when the movie came out and it's Pepper Potts and Happy Hogan, I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Cause that was new to me. I was as big of an Iron Man fan as there was going all the way back to the late seventies. And yet I had, you know, I've never been big on reading back issues from before I read stuff. I just, I've never, I don't know why. I've just never, I've always felt like if it was something from before when I was nine, I just, I never really, never really liked it. Oh, (laughs) Mrs. Arbogast deserves her own comic. Amen. She was awesome. Um, And and Bobby, Bobby, Bobby says my first comics were amazing. Spider-Man 192, 193, 194, and a three pack. That's an interesting three pack. Usually it's three different things. Usually three different things. Yeah, my first Amazing Spider-Mans we're actually going to get to in our next episode because my first issue, I I think, came from a three-pack, too. 
and it was the one where Spider-Man, where um, J. Jonah Jameson had photographs of Spider-Man killing Peter Parker, the clone. So the whole clone saga goes all the way back to the late seventies, and uh, and and Joan and JJ JJJ was was thinking that Spider-Man had murdered Peter Parker and taken his place. There was some really convoluted thing, right? But it was awesome. And you also see uh, the beginnings of the new Green Goblin. So we'll talk about Amazing Spider-Man uh, next episode. So anyway, so yeah, I um I love I, I when I watched the first Iron Man movie, I was kind of astonished in a way, but not surprised, I guess, that they went back to the very beginning and gave him Pepper and Happy. And you can't beat those two. They're just great. You know, um, they were around for like the first 95 issues or so. And I guess going all the way back to, to Tales of Suspense, wasn't that Iron Man and Captain America's comic? I forget. Uh, I think it's Tales of Suspense. But anyway, so Avengers, I mean, Iron Man number 96, that's the one I have to mention. Is there anything else from March? I don't think so. Oh, Foom was still coming out, but that's not something I had any access to. Eternals was up to issue number nine, but it wouldn't be around much longer. In fact, all the Jack Kirby related stuff would be gone very soon because Jack did not enjoy his last stint at uh, Marvel. I will mention, by the way, that we'll be talking about Marvel triple action, Marvel, because that was where I was reading my older Avengers issues. And that I think that was part of the reason why I didn't love going back and reading issues from before where I'd started and never have is because I would read Marvel Triple Action, the reprints of old Avengers issues, and I'd be like, okay, it's an Avengers story, eh, but it's not anywhere near as good as, you know, like the current issues would be Graviton and Nefaria and Ultron. And I go back and read Marvel Triple Action, and it's like, uh, you know, it was like Typhon versus Hercules and the Black Widow and all. And I'm like, eh, it's okay, but it's not, you know, it's not what Shooter and Perez were doing in the 70s by any stretch. Okay, well, I think that's it. So we are to April. So this was just a sort of an introductory episode. On our next episode, I will be looking at the comics of April 1977. Uh, we'll be looking at Avengers 158, when the, when the Vision and Wonder Man nearly killed each other. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, the Marvel team-up, where Spider-Man and Daredevil fought Electro. And we'll be looking at quite a few other really cool issues from that month, including, I guess, uh, Iron Man, Fantastic Four, where they get ready to fight. you got a really good run coming up with Wolfman and Perez. Uh, okay. And a bunch of other stuff. I don't want to leave anybody out. Oh, and that Thor issue where Thor is on the Odin quest. It was awesome with Bushima. Okay. I'm streaming this live currently to both the White Rocket page on you channel on YouTube and to my Facebook page, I will post the audio to the White Rocket podcast slash the Avengers Assemble podcast the next couple of days. Uh, I guess we'll get on out of here for this episode. Thanks for watching and for all your comments, and I will see you guys later.
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.